Hello there. Welcome to episode number 275 of the Apolog Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Head. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by AIXDSP.com. Get affordable and useful plugins. Get the IC Intuition Compressor. It's a compressor that gives you a clear and intuitive visual display that shows exactly what is happening on your audio at all times. Click the link in the description for more information. Thanks, Amazon shoppers, for supporting my work and uh, shopping on Amazon. You can do the same thing by going to applelog.ca slash Amazon or applelog.ca slash US Amazon. You can do the old-fashioned way, too, by going to applelog.ca and click on those banners located on the right side. Locate your country, whether you're from the United States, the USA's, or the UK's. Bookmark the links, and every time you shop on Amazon, use all those links to shop and support the show. It costs you no extra money. Thanks to people on Patreon for supporting this podcast. You can do the same thing by going to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel any time. Sound like a used car salesman. Cancel anytime. All right. Buy a t-shirt by going to applog.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash pod. And follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Today on the show is special. I have a special guest, Mr. Harry Myrie, who is a drummer for the band Low Cash, as well as a session drummer and a very successful YouTuber. I I am just, I always amazed when I just send people random emails and say, would you like to be on my show? And whoever says yes, I'm always just like, oh, well, there you go. And, you know, Harry has this YouTube channel that make if you work even close to what's known as the music business, he hits it on the head every single time when he makes a video, whether it be a drum tip or just an industry tip, or just go check his YouTube out. All the description stuff will be, will be in the description of the podcast. I had an amazing time talking to Harry because Harry has done something that not a lot of people have done. He's become successful in, in something when it comes to art and that is that is some, that's some powerful stuff. And so, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Harry Myrie, drummer of Low Cash, YouTuber, and all-around nice guy on the Apple Lab Podcast. Did you come up in sort of like punk rock stuff or were you? So that question makes my heart just grew three times that you <laughs> asked me that. What I will answer it fully. What makes you ask? Well, because when, well, first of all, you sent me an email saying about the fat record stuff, which is, it, it's pretty, uh, yeah, you know, I, I too have a, a, a love for punk rock from the 90s and things like that. I played in a few of them bands and I, it changed who I am. I mean, there's a lot of things about punk rock and sort of, stick it to this that sort of keeps people people going right like totally man dude there's something so sacred about it and i can't tell if we're on or not right now and i don't even now we're on we started <laughs> I, I i i love that feel dude sometimes i'll i'll talk to folks and then 
30 minutes of transformative spiritual conversation later, they'll be like, okay, and mm -hmm. now we're going to begin. So tell me why you're so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then it gets stiff. Dude, yeah. I, I went to the last warp tour. Is, uh, is there ever a last warp tour though? Like in my, in my mind, I'm like, I don't care what the marketing says. I, <laughs> yeah, I had Kevin Lyman on the show and I, and it was funny because it was the day after um, you, your president was uh, um, voted in. And he was so mad. He was so mad at the world. But yeah, I think it's done. I mean, I know in Canada, because that's where I'm Can Canadian, I don't think it's going to come across the border ever again. Maybe just locally. Uh, that makes it an even greater gift in life then that I went to the last one. And this was in the middle of things really blowing up for me in the sector of the business that I work in, which yeah. I, I would describe to put a vague umbrella on it as country music, mm -hmm. um, like hyper commercialized country music in the middle of all that touring on a Tuesday night in Nashville to go to the fairgrounds where the warp tour has always been. And to see an ocean of fans with the, nobody's holding their phone up. Yeah. Um, Nobody's there because it's cool to be there or that there's a ton of money there or social proof. It's just, it was like a church of people at the Nashville fairgrounds because they love this music. And, and some 41 is on stage and everybody's screaming along to like yeah. some 41's new stuff. And it was uh, like one of the most emotionally fulfilling moments of the last few years of my life, partly because what a contrast that is from the part of music that I'm like, pay for my house in if that makes any sense yeah yeah well one of the first well i was some 41's first tour manager so i toured all over the place with them in like half hour power days when they were just signed to um uh universal universal island island yeah and uh it was me and them and they were like 17 year old kids man 17 18 year old kids and uh and the first real tour we did was the warp tour and um it's hard, man. Like, I don't know. Warp Tour is hard. Like, especially when you're a crew of one. Because you have to, like, you have to be there at nine in the morning to find out what time you're playing. And you might be on at noon. You might be on at eight at night. For us, it was mostly noon or two. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but then you'd sort of have to, like, hang out in the sun and and drink bottled water that they made. Like, they would actually have their own bottled water that I think was from the tap. Um, and it was rough. It was a rough tour. And then because they're on a big label, every rep in the city, every city we're in would have to take them away and do press. And then we'd leave at like 10 o'clock at night and have to drive all night to get to the next place. And it was just brutal, brutal. What a rite of passage though, man. <laughs> yeah, That's see. like so cool. Yeah. The first time Warped Tour came to Toronto, I was working for SNFU and we, we did, um, we, we did the, we were the last band. We, I don't think you necessarily headline. Warp Tour. We were the last band. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, yeah, that was in Toronto. But yeah, Warp Tour is very, very close to my heart. I mean, it's, it's pretty like, it's like the army, you know what I mean? Like when big rock bands would go on it and they'd be like, this sucks. But then they start getting into the fact like, you know what? It's not so bad. Not so bad. Yeah. Uh, well said, man. I, uh, that's a, there, there's a summer camp kind of bond yeah. among, among everybody that's worked on Warp Tour. Uh, that even from my distance to it, I can feel as a fan that just like went to Warp Tour all the time. Even. Yeah. Uh, but my my current bus driver was a driver on Warp Tour for many years, man. And 
those are some of my favorite stories to, it wasn't, it wasn't beautiful. Like you're saying, it wasn't pretty, but like yeah. it was important and there's a difference. Yeah. The same year, I guess it was Green Day and No Effects were, were, were the bands on that tour. It was 2001, I guess. And Green Day always played way too long and always pissed everybody off. And No Effects was like the funniest band because everything in between, like none of it was being recorded, but everything they said was just pure gold because they're like, their banter is unbelievable. And uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. And Fat Mike actually had a bad back, so he would actually have a masseuse on tour. So he brought like, that's, that's pretty rock and roll. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty rock oh, and roll. Oh yeah, that's when you've made it. Yeah, uh, man. In punk rock. That, yo, basses are heavy, man. I my sense is that you were engineering for SNFU, is that yeah, right? Yeah, doing sound, yeah. Um, I, I've i never lifted any singular musical object heavier than a bass guitar, <laughs> man. I, I pity Fat Mike's back and everybody who has followed his path. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so you so you obviously came up in punk rock, and then to, to, to make it, to sort of make money in music, you know, to sort of monetize what you do, Punk rock's not the way to go. You know, you have to you have to expand, and you know, you obviously you went to Berkeley School of Music, right? So you would have to learn some real technique as well as you know. Did you learn a lot of professional, like how to be a professional there, or did they just sort of send you away as a good musician and go go forth? Man, I, I didn't expect this half of the Berkeley experience, but yes, when you get there, uh, within a year or two, you can decide whose mind you want to gravitate to, like which professors you want to really latch onto. And half of them do a really good job saying like, look, you're here because you can play. We're not going to talk about your instrument unless you want to talk about it. Right. Um, there's at least half of your time there. You do these intensive private instructions on your instrument and you pass juries and stuff. So they, everybody else on campus assumes that you're accomplishing whatever you need to accomplish on the instrument. So the rest of it is, how are we going to prevent you from ending up working at Dunkin' Donuts across the street when you get out of here, man? Yeah. Uh, and those are the guys I, I gravitated to. Uh, and all the, all the road guys I could get my hands on, too. I really, my identity in music has always felt like it's come from being on stage. That's the thing I definitely got from punk rock, man. We, yeah. we had one all-ages venue where I grew up. It was called Cave Nine. Uh, what and that's city? Where you could go. What city? Oh, was... that, yeah, so Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, Did okay. you guys ever go through? Yeah, well, I think we were there once with some. I think I was there once with SNFU too, years and years and years ago, but I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Drove through it a few uh, times. <laughs> this is how I feel about many, many cities I've been to, man. I'll meet people from Sheboygan, and they're like, "Oh, well, you must have played the Copper Pot Theater." I go, "Dude, I have no idea." Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So I've turned around and done it to you. Uh, but being on stage, I, I really derailed your question, man. I, um, yeah, yeah uh, there are at least half the professors at Berkeley want to give you a sense of how to, um, let's not use such a disgusting word as necessarily marketing per se, but they, they want to make sure you can stand out from the 1 million other people that can play their instruments. So there is a, there is some executive function to that, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I worked at a university for 10 years in the arts department, like in working for the, I guess, the fine arts department and mostly with the music department. And they taught them nothing. Like they taught them absolutely like, hey, you're a good musician. And then you're going to take your final performance exam and then bye-bye. See, see you later. And there's a lot of divas that came out of that school who who had no idea what the real world was about. Like 
we do they do performances and none of them knew how to like set up the stage or do anything and it's like really guys like this is the other half of your life you're going to be setting up your shit as much as you are going to be playing it like come on that's the challenge of academia isn't it it's this like super theoretical bubble um i gotta say to what you're saying I'd be just as guilty as any of them, but I got so lucky that halfway through school, my band got signed. And uh, I, ha- I have the rare distinction of being a, a dropout and a graduate of that school, right? Because <laughs> yeah. uh, halfway through, I, I, I mean, I asked all of my props, man, I, like, should I go or not? And every single one of them said, see the world with your friends for the first time. We'll be here if it goes down in flames. And of course it did, but when I came back, I knew what to ask. Like my ass had been kicked by the actual smelly beast of the music business. Yeah. And the second time I went to college is when it really counted because I knew what I wanted to know. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a tough thing to do. Like, cause when you do leave and then start l- witnessing what life is, sometimes what you learned in school isn't really what real life actually is. So you start sort of going, well, was it worth it? All of this learning. So by you going back, obviously there was a, it was a mission you had to do, you know, you had to do it because it was something that's ingrained in you. Because a lot of people would say, "Yeah, I'm good. I did a couple of years, and I'm good with that." Totally, man. Because like socially, the momentum of life, is, dude. When I went back to school as like a 24 year old or a 25, I, you know, I'm surrounded by 18 year olds that are like, "Who's this weird old man sitting in our class?" <laughs> old man, yeah. You're, you're you're swimming against the current that that we're all given, which is like, let's all get right out of high school. And go right into college we have no identity and no opportunity yeah. to even carve that with real stakes but let's just go right into this wealth of knowledge and not know what to do with it so dang i hope one day that can on whatever subtle level it can i i hope we can change the the vector of that a little bit because of exactly what you're saying yeah well either that or like because my, my mom after we were like out of the house went to university like took university courses because you know that was that was like I think 40 years, 30 years of time between leaving school and going back to school as a mature student. But yeah, it's tough because when you're like 24, your whole life is like, it's not what it's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how, how old you are now. You could be 28 for all I know. But, but, <laughs> you know, but after you turn this, after, after you turn that corner of like past your mid twenties, life changes a lot because you start thinking, you know what? I should probably start figuring out what I'm going to do. I, I, I need to input into society and not just keep taking from society. Did you feel well, that stuff I, or was that? Uh, mm, let's see here. I, uh, the truth on that one feels nuanced. I get exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. The, the more mature friends in my life, I have seen them go through that more intensively than I have. <laughs> uh, I st- emotionally, I'm still a teenager, man. I, I have, uh, I have the same lack of responsibilities now that I had then. Nobody's counting on me to feed them or anything. Hmm. Uh, and meanwhile, some of my friends that aren't playing music anymore, part of it is like, dude, I mean, they're married and they have kids to feed and that like that rightfully matters to them more than this strange ego trip that they're on of, hey, people clap for me or something. Yeah. And and the community fractures that way. The, the thing that the, I don't want to throw you in the same boat as me because you took it to this incredible level, right? But we all, on some level, uh, we grow up in this communal circle of, man, here's the art that we all bond on. Here are the little garage bands that we form around that. And that stuff, yeah, it gets all fractured by the time we're, we're our age. 
Um, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but it's it's priorities, right? Because people people like fall in love with people and then they stop touring because they don't want to go on tour and and then in just so many phases. Because I I just turned fifty, so I've been I've been playing music my whole life. But when there's phases in life where you go when you're in your late 20s things start getting a little desperate like i gotta i gotta pull my shit together you know i gotta start paying the mortgage i gotta start yeah you know and then and now i'm 50 it's like hey i want to join a cover band i want to play music and you know the music school used to have this thing it was like a school of rock for adults and when i was 25 or 26 i was like that's bullshit who would want to do that and now i'm like (laughs) that'd be kind of fun, you know, like we're hanging out with dudes and just playing music and who cares who's good and who's bad. And you you do, you go through things and, you know, and you've taken, you've taken music to a lot of places that a lot of people probably will never go to. That's being in stadiums and touring with large bands. And I mean, the politics are there that I have no idea because I, I I sort of stayed in the clubs sort of thing, but, uh, the politics of being a musician, a session musician like yourself, you just got to kind of just be a good hang, right? Is that is that a thing? That I, that's the center of that universe for sure. Yeah. That that rightfully everyone parrots all the time. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Uh, somehow certain people slip through the cracks, and you're oh, like, yeah. wow. I I guess he's just so talented that we're going to tolerate his, his utter humanity yeah oh yeah Uh, yeah listen guys like me can't i can't get away with shit like that like i uh i gotta be easy to deal with um and then the drumming can be tolerated well yeah that's the thing because you're spending a lot of time in close quarters with people some of them hard to work with and some of them are not and you just have to sort of navigate yourself through there as a, as a human being to come out at the other end and go, hmm, okay, I don't feel angry at the world for the fact that, you know, certain things that you do as, as a musician, like, you know, I, I really do appreciate people that just sort of can just tolerate other people. You know what I mean? It's tough. It's tough. Man, that's an insightful way to put that. I, I, I was moved as you were talking about how excited you are to be to like play music with your friends right now. I that that makes me go. Well, that's what a relationship with music should feel like. Uh, and it can, you know, smoke and mirrors uh, or the smoke and mirrors of like d- doing it on a um, like a super commercial level can. Man, that can transform an otherwise pure thing into exactly what you're getting at. Like way more of a a chess game or something of. Okay, mm-hmm. we're all pawns on this weird board. That guy moves diagonally. I move two forward, one to the right. And somehow that means I have a gig and he doesn't. Yeah. Uh, but well, like, notice the word, I didn't even use the word music in any of that. <laughs> you play in the game. And, yeah. And that's, man, many moments of my life over the last few years have, I, I do have to embrace that many moments of my life have felt that way over the last few years. And uh, it, it all has to be worth, the lights going down and getting on stage and feeling that instrument under your hands and going, yes, th- this is the thing yeah. I was chasing for the last 23 hours. This was the feeling I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine says famously, yes, yeah, 23 hours of bullshit for a ha- an hour and maybe 45 minutes of coolness. Cause there's a 15 minute changeover, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a Shakespearean level of truth to that. Oh, I know yeah. I'm, I'm one of many who have had that experience. 
and happy to have it, man. What yeah. else would I be would I be good for as a professional? Well, you never know, right? Because once you once you start branching out of what you know, understanding what music is. I mean, your YouTube thing is, dude. It's it's <laughs> it's so on the nose. I didn't hit record until I said like after I said, but what you say in your YouTube channel, it's so poignant and um, appreciated and subtle. It's so pointed at the direction of people like me that I go, oh my god! And I finally saw watching. I was just like, like belly laughing at certain parts and going, why don't you know what I mean? Like it's it's the way it's it's the way you say it, man. I have to give you props because, and that's what makes that's what makes YouTube content kind of like successful. Or does it make it? You know, you found your voice in in YouTube. How long did that 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 must have taken a few years, right? Because you've been doing it, how many years now? Uh, I suppose as as far as the videos that people know me for now, that series started in 2014. Yeah. Um, a lot of throwing noodles at the wall. You're totally right. Many of the things I put out in 2014 aren't there anymore because they ultimately weren't my voice. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so, and where are we now? Yeah, I guess this is my seventh year of making weird noises into cameras and seeing <laughs> what resonates. Uh, but comments like yours, man, it gives me, that's weird sitting alone in a room with a camera. It's the opposite of that punk thing we were doing. Yeah, yeah. Do uh, you do you write a script or do you are you riffing? You're right. You might. Yeah, you write a script. Yeah. So the, the script is a manifestation of natural riff, uh, riffing that happened over a longer period of time. Right. That's what I've come to realize. Um, it, it's all, every single word in it is written in a moment of bantering with. Uh, the, the sound guy who is out there shaking his head because we are up there just being dumb and wasting his time. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I want to trap his emotional state in amber. And so there is always an exact moment of time that I see that and I go, that's hilarious. I, I need to immortalize this guy and the abuse that he takes from us. <laughs> and I'll, So I'll write that down and then go on with my day and play the show. And eventually there's a dump after, I'm sure that video was, that was like 13 months of shooting. That, really? Holy shit. That uh, day in the life of a touring drummer. Yeah. Because uh, it requires a lot of other people's cooperation. But but really, more importantly, and this is what you're asking about, the message, as you can tell from talking to me in real life, like I'm not that quick off the cuff. I, I kind of have to sit in things and craft the message and cut things out. And then eventually the statue's there. I go, there it is. There's the order of words. Say that into a microphone and go from there. So it is a script in the end, if that makes any sense. I do vividly remember in the beginning of this going, what if a thousand people saw a thing that I made? Yeah. One thousand. Uh, and I remember really distinctly thinking, if I ever get to that point, which I probably won't, then all of my problems will be over. I should <laughs> never want for anything again. So I do have to remind myself of that now when I break a sweat about like, Ugh, I, I want each thing to be better than the last. Like I have to remember, it's crazy that there are people in the world they're just like willing to give me a shot. If I put something out there, man, they'll, there's at least that handful of like a hundred thousand people that'll watch it. That's insane, man. Yeah. And that's a form of success that isn't musical and that it's something that it's, it's not music, but it's based on music. And, and, you know, you've, you've found something that's, um, that's, yeah, it's sidecars with music, but it's not like, it's not who you are musically. Like when you play drums, you're 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 a drummer in the band. Mm -hmm. But when you're speaking something, it's it's something. What I'm, what I'm it's a long way. We trying to explain. <laughs> it's what you're trying to do is exp 
you're branching out about what your voice is, you know, and that's that's cool because it doesn't have anything to do with music, but it will eventually, you know what I mean? Eventually, it all kind of all comes comes back to to music in a way. No doubt, I hear that, man. I, yeah, music I, is really the only thing I feel. Uh, you know, you're asking for people's time when you make these videos, right? Like mm-hmm. you're saying, I promise it'll be worth dropping whatever you were doing for five minutes and sitting in on whatever I'm going to ramble about. I, there's nothing in the world I have the willingness to ramble about like I do about music. Uh, and part of those, I, so I suppose it's funny for you to parse them out that way, because to me, I, I'm at this point in my life where I feel like I can't have one without the other. I'm not willing to talk on YouTube. If I'm not playing 160 shows a year, I don't okay. feel that my voice is valid. Uh, and likewise, if all I'm doing is playing those 160 shows a year, I should have more Zen and say that's worth doing it in and of itself. But I have this instinct to go, man, I want to bottle this. Or as I said before, trap this in amber, all the funny dynamics of being on the road with these people. So it, it completes the journey for me to be able to bottle it on camera. And then nice fellows like yourself all the way in Canada can check it out. And feel, and I can bond with you over that because you've been through all that stuff too, man. Oh, That's yeah. such a great feeling. Totally, totally. And so how have you been, this is obviously the hot topic of isolation and don't catch any, don't catch any COVID, but um, you might, are you still playing? Like, are you doing stuff from home? You know, you just, what are you concentrating on to keep yourself not, because you're not doing 160 shows a year anymore for now. Yes, totally. And it's so funny to imagine the, this, this notion that I could have finished that video that came out last week <laughs> while also on tour. Like how the hell yeah. was that going to happen? It involved so many months of footage. Uh, you know, getting that one clip of sound check meant watching 60 sound checks or something <laughs> for the five seconds that you end up with. So I couldn't have brought my server in the back lounge of the bus and done all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel I feel lucky. I feel like the reason that video is, exists uh, is because I was told to sit my ass at home this year. Um, I have been playing on records from home. That everybody's writing songs right now and recording stuff. So that part's kicked in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise I, I'm in the sweet spot here, man. I, not without massive guilt that this is a very hard time for a lot of people, but I'm yeah. introverted. I've really tried to honor the silence and just look after my health and my sleep, basically unneglect all the things that I've been neglecting for years and years of not being home. As yeah. you know. Man. Yeah. Yeah. And Nashville is a, uh is it is a it's a it's an it's a neat place because it's where everybody goes to write music and it's where everybody kind of um it seems it is the new it's the spot it's the hot spot not just for country but for pop and everything everything is there i think ben folds used to live there but i don't think he lives there anymore he had a big studio down there i think he was in the old rca studio i don't think he's there totally yeah. Well, I don't. If he's gone, I don't know where he is. But yeah. yeah, he's he's one of those guys you run into. He's from North Carolina, so yeah. maybe he's out there. Uh, I think he moved to L.A. Actually, because I oh. saw a YouTube of him doing something in L.A. Um, but yeah, I, I I worked for a band called the Wilkinsons, and they lived down in Nashville in the early two thousands. Uh, the, their whole family, like they're from Ontario, and they just got in a car and moved to Nashville, and they wrote Twenty Six Cents, and that became like a big big song. And um, so I worked for the Small Town Pistols. I don't know if you know who they are, but they work with uh, David Kalmuski, who worked with Bieber, and he's, he's a Nashville guy too, but also transplanted Ontarian. So there's like, 
that seems, you know, a lot of people go down there and I think Canada has a house there. It's like the SoCan house where the songwriters association can house you and you can write music and yeah, it's kind of neat that it is in the spot. And for some reason that's the spot. I mean, is it, cause it's, it's in the middle of America basically, right? Yeah, we're right, we're right in the middle here, man. Uh, still counts as Bible Belt as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a cowboy nature, however marketed it is. Yeah. There's a cowboy nature here that reminds me of like Western Canada, like Calgary and all that. Yeah. Uh, it can feel like the same place sometimes, you know, plus one million degrees. <laughs> uh, I, but yo, the, you're right about the SoCan house. Like the Canadians here, they look after one another. Every Canadian in Nashville knows every other Canadian here, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it's 10 hours, man. We got to come 10 hours to go to Nat and the time zone, by the way, that's a long time. <laughs> uh, no doubt, man. I, um, yeah, it, it has, there's a small town energy here too. So I'm sure in some ways it feels like an excursion to the big city. Uh, but I wonder if also it feels like a village to these guys too, these Canadians here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so are you, are you playing from your house and sending out tracks or are you like, how does that work out? You must have some pretty nice equipment. Uh, I'm working on it. I, it's funny. One of the sad, sad lessons I've learned this year is now I have, um, I have all of the preamps that were used to make my favorite blink drum sounds. You know? <laughs> yeah. The, the great, I, I love those, those take off your pants and jacket sounds yeah. and the enema of the state sounds. It's Jerry, Jerry like, Finn, Jerry Finn, man. That, oh, that guy's the bomb. Jerry Finn, man. I yeah. like, I just, I worship the ground that he walked on. Like yeah. I, I'm so into, I wish I could know more about what he was thinking when he made all this cool stuff. Yeah. Well, even all those blink ones, when Travis first joined, were all first takes. Like a lot of those were first takes. Like that was yeah. pretty insane. Like, for that how complex it was and whatnot you know like totally yeah uh, gosh and that, you know what that makes sense to me so i got my hand i'm probably not supposed to admit this out loud <laughs> i got my hands on a lot of the multi-tracks from those things um and i can hear you know if you isolate some of those parts on their own they do sound like a first take like you're saying they sound really sloppy and yet when you play the master it sounds pristine and perfect it almost sounds gridded and you go how is this possible the answer is that that's the sound of the bond that those three guys had yeah. and the, the hours, the sheer sweaty hours that they put in with one another. That's why that sounds so cohesive, but yeah, it was approached in a real raw way. And you mm-hmm. can tell when you hear those tracks on their own point being, uh, I, okay. Sitting in my house now is like a, a gradual collection of basically all the stuff they used to make themselves sound like that and i when i play into them i still sound like me like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't fix the these frustrations i have with my recorded phone, i so i hear you i've chased <laughs> I've, I've chased that dragon a few times <laughs> uh but the, man the pursuit is is gratifying and each i learned every time i play on high stakes every time i play on a record um there's things about i might hear it on the radio and i cringe at certain things that i know better than now but this is how we learn is we kind of make those mistakes under like bright lights. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so are you demoing or are you like, are you demoing for people? Cause that, that would make it nice and easy for you to be in your house. Like I have a little setup behind me and some stuff. I got an old cornet kit back here from the sixties that used to be able to order off a of Sears catalog. And now because it's from 1965, it's considered vintage, even though it's not that good a quality drum kit as it goes. 
Man, the the mark of coolness of your drums, as far as I'm concerned, is as soon as we hopped on this call, I got that sacred feeling that you have towards all good drums. I go, man, I just want to go sit and play those. <laughs> yeah, they actually for a 20 inch uh, kick drum, it's it's pretty massive sounding with a mic on it. In the room, not so good, but I mean, when you hear it, because it, it's a maple uh, mm -hmm. a shell, it's just yeah. For some reason, it just sounds really good with a mic on it. Um, no. Yeah, and I, it's funny, my family, obviously I'm here with all my whole family, and I was supposed to just take this corner, and then I sort of branched out this way, and then I branched over that way, and then they have like this corner over there that's like the TV, so it's like I'm slowly migrating everything into this space. Dude, yeah. this is the kingdom right here, this is the hang in your house, I like it. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what kind of laser scanning is going on in this aquarium behind you. This is a 3D printer. I'm. Oh. Yeah. Well, maybe I cannot. Well, without unplugging, what I'm printing, I print these little boxes that do um, neat little things with a thing called an Arduino, and I can actually control programs with computers. And it's I'm I'm a I'm a tinkerer. I like to tinker, and then so I I like to make stuff. Like I have two different bases. I have one with active and one with passive pickups, and the volume's different. So I wanted to make. A box is like a hundred dollars to make that do that. So I'm like, fuck it, I'm just gonna make one. So I found the schematics and I made it, and it's sitting in a pile down there right now. But it works, so I'm just printing a box for it, so I can actually. <laughs> what a cool community, man! I'm always noticing everybody who has a 3D printer. They're always sharing, like, "Hey, man, I cracked the code of how to print Woody from Toy Story. Here's the <laughs> schematics for everybody to get their hands on." It's witchery. You feel like when you first make something, like. You print a cube. You're like, I have conjured something out of thin air. This is, I'm a witch. You know, they'd burn me. They'd probably throw me in a river and on fire if I had said, "Look what I made from my imagination." You know? <laughs> Yo, that's a that I would think is a primal level of satisfaction. It totally is. Like fire. That's I don't cool. need music anymore. I don't need music. I just I just print this stuff and I make boxes and you know, music's just a just a passing phase for me. No, I'm just congrats kidding. to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so what are you, what are your plans like because we're gonna start opening up i don't i don't know what's happening with down there because i think you guys aren't really what they say flattening the curve very well um what's mm -hmm. happening like what are, where are you guys at are you sort of milling around in public or you know yeah so uh no we're not behaving well at all i <laughs> we don't have to put that shyly uh i have four dumbass music friends who got covid yesterday no shit uh, yeah and i like man they knew what they were signing up for and they i don't know what else i have to say about that were the open mouth kissing each other was that what how they got it because that's you know, the way how you catch it doing right? that anyway and we it's were saying just do less of that and yeah. then they did more of it and here we are COVID's the new kissing disease it's the new mono <laughs> uh, yeah these musicians they got enough uh contagious diseases to deal with as it is right uh so so they kind of got what they signed up for but i it was a it was a signal to me kind of that everybody here is like on a different page about we're tugging the rope and not even in two different directions, but it feels like in eight different directions. Um, and I, it, it's a little dystopian, a little disorienting. I don't, um, I, all I've really been able to concretely glean is nobody really needs me to leave my house right now. So I'm just sitting my ass at home. <laughs> um, I, I don't have like an important function to society or something. I don't, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not down there hooking people up with groceries at Piggly Wiggly or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm off the grid, man. I, and look, I, I am I am so introverted 
and my life has been so loud and full of big crowds. I don't just mean audiences. I mean, like just the number of strangers you meet, as you know, every day on tour and like, um, is over a long period of time. I, sometimes I wonder if my life was headed for a really bad car crash. Um, the silence that this year has afforded me is I've had this feeling a little bit of looking backwards going, man, the rate that I was living my life was not sustainable. And I, I almost needed to be sat down and told like, shut up and be still for yeah. just like a year and recalibrate, man. Absolutely. Now, do you find <clears throat> that when you go to a place as like a patron, you go to a club or, or a live venue, I always sort of get a little weirded out because I get sort of, weird around crowds but when i work in big full venues and i move around freely because i know i can go away and be in a spot where even you know where people aren't and uh i always find it weird because you know y'all i get a little bit i'm not really afraid of crowds but i do realize like if i can't get anywhere that is quiet then i get a little i get a little squirrely my wife will attest to that wow that's so beautifully said i um and so do you, like, you're a real charming, outgoing guy, though. Is it like, take me into that. What is it about these? Because I, I relate to what you're saying. Yeah. Take me into what you feel around these big crowds, man. It's the fact that if I'm a patron, like, going to a venue to see a band, like, we went to go see uh, the Get Up Kids a couple of weeks, or actually a couple of, almost a year ago now. Mm-hmm. But we went to see them, and I'm in this audience, and I know where the band room is, and I know, like, it's nice there, you know, because I've done shows there before. And yet I'm like, oh, I want to go get a drink. And oh, shit, there's like a bunch of people in. And oh, my God, this is it's just so crowded. And everybody's yeah, it seems like have, they're having a great time. But it, for me, I'm like, I just want to see the band and I just want to bolt. I, I don't want to be there, you know, unless I'm working it. And then I would gladly go have some quiet time in the band room and sort of put my feet up and relax. And then I can go mill. It's like. How do I somehow maintain control in all of that? And that's my thing. I don't know how you feel about all that stuff. Yes, I feel at my core, I feel what you're saying. I uh, am embarrassed to say this, but I remember the last time John Mayer was here in town, we uh, we tried to just honorably like buy our own tickets. And we walked in the front door of the arena and we we waited in these lines and went to our seats and the whole thing. Like I whined the whole time, dude. <laughs> It's like, what do you, what, what do you mean people won't just get out of my way? Or like, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I get what you mean. I, um, I think I've, whereas I saw him in that arena in Nashville when I was in high school and I drove through the night to get there and yeah. loved standing out there and just burning my ankles out, just waiting for a spot on the front rail. Like I, I used to relish in, the pain and suffering of yeah. like getting your ass beat at an awesome show with a big crowd. And you can't ever wear those clothes again. Cause they're so <laughs> yeah. mutilated. Dude, I, like that was my life for so long. So it's, it's weird to be, I, it's that getting older thing that we were talking about earlier. Now yeah. I'm like, mm, I'll go if they have a seat for me on the side of the stage. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You start choosing. Yeah. You start picking your terms. Like, yeah, I I live about an hour and a half outside of Toronto, mm-hmm. and so when someone says, "Hey, my band's playing at the Horseshoe, do you want to come down and see it?" I'm like, "Yeah, man, I totally do." And then I get to the date, and it's like, 
Ah, I gotta drive all the way down there, and I gotta go uh, park and uh, uh, yes, do that. And they understand because we're all going through that. The rule I've developed in Nashville, if this helps you at all, yeah, yeah, this has moved mountains for me. The rule I've decided on because you're in a music city, all all the people that you care about are doing musical things that matter to them and they want your support. Yeah. And so there are three shows every night, right? And you got to find a way to cope with that. Yeah. And so yeah, that's felt essential to my line of work here. I can't just sit on my couch all the time and, and act like I'm a member of this community. And so my rule for myself that has helped so much is I get a three song allowance, which is to say, if I can just make sure to get there 20 minutes before the downbeat, you hug whoever you need to hug. I give myself three songs. And if after the third song, I'm still upset that I went to this thing and I'm still, I, I still can't say, then I'm allowed to go home at that point because I tried. <laughs> uh, but at least half the time after three songs, I go, damn, hit me with another. Like yeah. I, I'm into this. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't happen every time, but I, I do have this distinct feeling that I'm always glad that I like bothered with it because damn, the later in life we get, the, the harder it is to even shoehorn those things in. Oh, yeah. To the picture, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I had kids in the early 2000s and the mid 2000s. And then I would I was a hermit. I didn't go anywhere. And I stopped touring and sort of got a job. And and then and now I'm sort of like at the point where it's like, I, maybe I'd like to go to see some more shows. Maybe I'd like to sort of experience stuff, especially with my wife, because we've been so busy being parents that it's tough to sort of communicate as people and as friends, you know. So mm. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying, you know, obviously this COVID thing is is screwed the whole pl plan up, but. It yeah. would be nice to sort of experience things like you did when you were 20, only you could say, I can afford to buy a t-shirt or I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I could, that's my liberty. I'm going to buy that t-shirt, you know, yeah. and that's what I'm going to uh, do, you know? And that's dude, what, well, I'm, I'm so psyched for the next show that you set foot at. I, you're going to like have this great appreciation for it. I hope so. I think everybody is. I think it's going to be crazy. I think people are going to be, they're just not, it's like people are going to go crazy if there's a vaccine or something that sort of gets everybody immune mm. i think yeah. in our age group but anybody older than me is going to go i'm still not going out i'm still not like, <laughs> i'm not doing that like i work at i work at a theater i'm a i'm a td at a theater and just close to here and we're a 600 seat theater and our demographic is 55 and older and <laughs> i mean we you'd probably somehow put everybody in a hazmat suit and they might come but there's no promises, you know, so cool. it's tough. Like, how is this whole thing going to get rolling up again? You know, how, what do you think is going to happen? Like when things start getting back to normal, I guess normal is a wrong word, but. Yeah, that, man, I, I get what you're getting at though. That's hazy to me. Um, I, we have so much industry infrastructure here that there are guys in their offices right now banging their heads against the wall trying to figure this out. Yeah. Because the money, they want those money bags, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like that's just the sector that I'm in here. So one experiment that I noticed recently is they did this, uh, like Brad Paisley and a few other guys did. They set up a stage in a parking lot or something. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the details don't matter, but you, they'll, one ticket gives you three parking spots. Number one, you put your car. Number two, you can dance and sing along. Number three, nothing. And then the next one starts that set of three over again. And so people are supposed to be distanced that way and wearing their masks. And uh, I watched a few minutes of it and just found it hilarious. Like, 
I mean, even Brad's guitar tech came out, like you were saying, he came out in the NASA hazmat suit, the end of a <laughs> telecaster or whatever. Yeah. As, with, as if he had radioactive gloves on or something. So, dude, they're trying. As soon as they can squeeze that money out of people again, they'll they'll do it. But it's it's obviously impacted in a way right now that doesn't feel like it's going to go away for a while, man. The level of intimate comfort you have to have to get in the pit yeah, yeah. Uh, and sweat on everybody and, and throw shit and, and, uh, and spit and all the things that happen in the glorious pit, man. I, when, <laughs> when will we have that level of intimate comfort again? I dude, I've just let it go. I've tried to be the guy in the back of the cell smoking a cigar saying, <laughs> Hey man, we're never getting out of here. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just let it be a pleasant surprise when we do. Yeah. The well, a lot. Of, I know that booking agents up here are changing a lot of their contracts to involve streaming, uh, live streaming, which is the biggest compromise ever. You know, just like parking lots, everything's a compromise. Like people will get mm. there and they go, "Yeah, this is okay, I guess," but it's not like being sitting in a nice, comfy stadium with big PA system and air conditioning and and you mm. know, it's a compromise. Everything's a compromise now. So just like. When you go to the supermarket, you have to follow the arrows. That's a, that's a compromise. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because it's, but it's a compromise, right? Like, and that's what, that's what being, I don't know, that's what being an adult's all about, I guess, is compromising. But one day, somehow, I think there's going to be some sort of rev- revolution, I hope. There were people just sort of said, you know, fuck it. I'm going to die. I'm going to have a good time watching this band. I'm going to enjoy Yo, it. Yeah. Some bands are worth it, man. That's true. That's true. What band would you die of COVID for? Oh, there are many. Um, <laughs> I, you, look, you've mentioned no effects, and I'm like, I had tickets to to see them at the Norva about ten years ago, and I can't. I was touring so much at that time that I think we got booked. And isn't this amazing that I've never been in the presence of no effects in my oh, life? Oh wow. yeah, yeah. And I think I think there is no greater piece of art than the decline. Oh my God, uh, yeah. Did you and see like, the thing oh, they did at Red Rocks? They did, no there's, there, yeah, there's a Red Rocks live performance with a, like an orchestra where they did the decline. Wow. Yeah. Oh, for the decline. Yeah. No, I'm not hip to that, but I uh, will probably hang up on our conversation and watch early. It. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, but even pump up the volume and, oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and heavy petting zoo. I mean, oh. these albums shaped me, man. So I... Uh, I, I will do whatever it takes to see them. I will surf at a NoFX show, dude. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, Did you watch Backstage Passport? Yes, it's been a while. Oh, my God. That guy, <laughs> Limo. Limo, actually, uh, is an old friend of mine. I've known Limo for many, many years. I replaced him when he was working for NoFX, but also I replaced him on an SNFU tour because he had to go work for NoFX, and that's how I started working for NoFX, or uh, for um, SNFU. And... Uh, him and Kent, the sound guy, used to be in a band called Gorilla Gorilla um, with a, a lady singer. You might not have heard of her. Her name was Biff Naked, but she was a solo singer up here, and she was pretty popular in the 90s. And yeah, so they have all pretty much, they had mostly Canadian crew for the whole time, and mostly because we say sorry a lot, you know. That's, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> uh, dig it. I, uh, I, yo, I'm on that same spiritual train. I... Uh, I'm always so honored when uncultured people in the South accuse me of being Canadian. I go, Oh, thank you. Ah. That's, that's so cool. Uh, I realize there's a difference, but 
And the and the love of my life is Canadian too, by the way. Oh really? What part? Calgary. Calgary. I love Calgary. I almost moved to Calgary. Years and years ago there was no recording studio. And I used to travel across Canada with all my gear in my van. And I'd go on tour with us in a few and I'd say, I'm coming through in a couple of weeks and go find me a band and I'll record them in your basement. So I recorded like all the punk rock bands like all across Canada that used to open for SNFU. And it was pretty good, pretty good little industry for a while. But I was in Calgary for a month just recording bands out of this one house. And I was like, well, there's looks like I could I could move here. I could just live here and record bands all day long. And uh, I didn't do it. I, I met my now wife and I, I just stayed here. Yeah. Calgary's a good city. It, it's, it's, I was there. Well, I was there actually in February. It's not bad. Uh, I, gosh, I'm not quite cultured enough to really take. I mean, I was just in Vancouver was the last city I played yeah. before society ended. I can feel <laughs> the difference between when I'm in Vancouver and Toronto yeah. and Calgary, but I, that's about as deep as I go. Yeah. Uh, There's a big but, difference. You're right. <laughs> I would imagine Toronto feels this way to you more than any, though. That there must feel like there's an infinite. That feels like the artsy band place to me. Um, to me, Toronto has always been a place that I always tried to get out of uh, and try to just tour because you could you could spend your whole life just playing shows in Toronto, and I've spent the better part of 15 years doing that. But when I in the 90s, it was always better to sort of just get out of the city. Because you could just play every week. You could just play in Toronto if you wanted to. Um, but yeah, I mean, to, to go play Calgary if from here, <laughs> it you couldn't do it. You'd have to drive like three days to get there. Um, but I lived in Winnipeg for a while, and Winnipeg is like sort of like this. It feels very small city, but it's still quite a big city. But there's all different parts in Canada. But there's a there's a general continuity of Canada that I only get in Canada. And there's some spots in the States that I feel that sort of sense of community. Um, but it's definitely, there's a community-based music industry, that's for sure. You know, because we're so small. Like, there's nobody, everybody knows everybody. That's why you, yes. coming back to what we're saying, just don't be a dick. And, you know, people will hire you to do stuff. <laughs> you guys are the king of that, man. That's and right. you stick together. I'm totally with you. It's always a pleasure when we cross... Well, it sucks to wake up at 3 a.m. and everyone has to get out and yeah, talk yeah. to customs. Yeah. But uh, but w when we cross the border to play, like we just did Niagara Falls, the ca the Canada side, and that means we get all Canadian hands, and we love that so much more. Oh yeah, than, state than hands are better up here. I, I we always get the record. I worked down at that what was called the amphitheater, but it was the Budweiser stage now, and yeah. we would always get the record for some reason. It's like, well, really, is you know. Aerosmith would come through and it's like mm -hmm. the worst show ever. It was Aerosmith and Run DMC and Kid Rock. And uh, it was like such a bad day. But no, we'd get the record. You got the record. I'm like, well, that's not much of an achievement. Can I have my shirt now? Can I go? <laughs> uh, are, you, so are you talking about the old Molson Amphitheater? Molson Amphitheater, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know that place. They're kind of, those sheds are all kind of like Groundhog Day. Yeah. They're all over the place. Yeah. 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 Uh but I, I I remember that one, man. That's a cool place. It's cool to have one of those in your city. Yeah. It used to be a place called the Ontario Place Forum, which had one of the only revolving stages. So it would go for in one direction for a while and then it would spin around the other way. And then they tore it down and built the built the amphitheater. Yeah, I worked a couple of summers down there. It was not I mean, it's a young man's game, you know. 
I hear that. I feel the same way. Whatever your job is at those gigs, yeah. it, feel, it feels like a young man's game. I yeah, hear that. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, I want to talk a little bit about your drumming because I noticed like the open hand thing. It's a lot of, a lot of levers going on there, eh? To be able to, <laughs> is to, to be able to still do, because I thought, well, he's left-handed, but wait a minute, he's not left-handed. Using, you're still using a kick on your right foot and the hi-hat, mm -hmm. but you got, what do you got going on down there? Yeah, it, it looks like probably more elaborate than it is. We're just, our view of what a drum set should look like is so entrenched. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I really, the reaction is to the hi-hat being on the wrong side. I'm using a hydraulic hi-hat. Or I don't know that it's hydraulic. It's probably just a long cable. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just didn't want to cross my hands over, man. That was the goal. Yeah, yeah. If if some if if someone were starting, it's too late for me, and it's too late for you. Uh, but if we were starting to play drums today, I would say, you know, you sit at a drum set. The hats are on your left. Everything else is on your right. Well, why don't you just hit the hats with your left and everything else with your right? Yeah, like, yeah. why are we contorting ourselves into a pretzel? But I, I figured that out too late, and so this is my way of compensating. Mm -hmm. uh, so my my hat pedal is still on my left from the old habits. I learned drums the same way you did. Um, but the the symbols themselves are on the right, and then yeah, I had to get I had to get them to make me a left footed double kick pedal. If that makes any sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so the primary pedal is I'm I'm playing it with my right foot, but it's the slave pedal. So uh, that just that sounds like we're building a rocket ship or something. But <laughs> but the, what was most important to me is when you sit at it. It feel I don't I don't want to say when you sit at it. I guess yeah. I'll just say when I sit at it. It feels intuitive. It feels like the uphill battle of defying the physics of the tradition of drumming is over, and I can just swing at what makes sense to swing. So I did. I set it up that way like eleven or twelve years ago. I have never looked back. I have felt perfectly like myself ever since. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. Um, I noticed that because and the other thing is the two tom, the floor toms. There's like a floor tom on either side of you. And to be able to lead on a left-hand fill to go down the toms that way, it's you're sort of it makes you think a little bit more about how you're you know it would make me think more anyways uh, how to, how how that happens. Yeah, I love that you said it that way. Um, that's part of the value is um, it it calls into question the traditional doo -doo 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 yeah 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 you, you can't naturally do that like out of instinct anymore. So it does. Uh, it does kind of have a way of adding, uh, it disrupts the tradition on the drums a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know, maybe there's, some, there's uh, maybe part of what I love about punk music is that it is disruptive to yeah. tradition. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's true. Well, don't let me give my fucking drum set up that much credit. I mean, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I like the disruption or slightly anarchy uh, element to that maybe. The recording engineers go, "Hey, man, there's a lot of symbols coming on from your rear right side. We got to start spreading them out a little bit." Or you had any comments yeah. like that? So I, I love that question, and I want to know how it hits you. I will say that the recording engineers that I know that are super theoretical, the guys that have memorized all the frequencies yeah. in the book, <laughs> and they care about the difference between drummer perspective or audience perspective when yeah. it comes to panning overheads, those guys care a lot theoretically. Yeah. Um, but then I also have like functional engineers in my life. Those tend to be like the road guys. Um, and th those guys for the most part don't care. They're, they feel like more like problem solvers or something. Yeah. Um, 
I knew early on stuff was really close together. It's a very ergonomic setup. And that hurt me a lot on a bleed standpoint. Yeah. So now, like as of yesterday, my hi-hats are higher off the ground than ever before because I'm still fighting bleed into the snare mic. Yeah. Uh, and you can only combat that so much with like the direction of the mic and I, I don't know, trying to put inhibitors between them. So now they're just really far apart. I've found that's the best yeah, yeah. solution for that. How does all this hit you? Like how how much of a pain in the ass would you feel if all of a sudden you were dealing with a, a tour I'm on and now you're in front of house? Uh it wouldn't the same thing, it wouldn't really bother me as much because I would just put more mics on it, I guess, to sort of deal with how things going because if you just put a left right spread on on a on a on an on an overhead on a, on symbols you still have to be in relation to where the snare is. So mm. what I've been doing lately, I'm just undermiking the cymbals close. So that, first of all, aesthetically looks great because when the, the guy's playing, there's not those things over your head. It, it oh, yeah. comes up and then you can just really tune in that cymbal where it is. So I, if someone said to me, I got four over here, I'd probably put two over there and one over, you know what I mean? That That's sort of how I would kind of deal but under yeah. is the way to go man i just put it out of phase and you know a lot of people probably be like punching their you know audio engineers but it works for me <laughs> oh i dude i love that i i associate that with a certain rock sound almost maybe even falsely but i, I it's probably taboo to say but i some of my favorite like lars ulrich metallica sounds were when they, they were miking under his cymbals yeah uh, what are you what are you putting up there? I'm not gonna drag us all the way down the gear rabbit. No, no, no. I just put cheap mic. mics because I know every mic that I leave behind is either gonna be hundred and fifty dollars replaced or because when I come in it's like I have everything and then so I have to be sort of everything and if something gets a little bit off then I will forget something. So I just have cheap cheap mics. Like I have a fifty seven for the snare, nothing crazy. Uh, for the under um, under snare, I found a mic on the loading dock. It's this old EV mic on our loading dock, and it works. And it's a awesome mic. I just I go minimal. Like I I've worked with guys who go kick in, kick out, and I've I've never really had any issue with just using one kick drum mic. Mm -hmm. But I as it goes, like I said, my mic kit everything's kind of small and cheap, and I can it's not like irreplaceable. You know, <laughs> so I, I always try to, I got to show you this one thing. Give me one sec. I got to show you this one thing I made for the 57. Hold on. Send it. I, I made this thing so you can get 57 around corners. It's really bad podcasting, by the way. But I, I designed this so you can put a 57 and put it right under the hi-hat and get complete and utter isolation magic with that. So this, this is what I've done to sort of fix little problems. <laughs> are, you, are you saying people can only hear us and they can't see us? Yeah, I don't do the video. It's too gotcha. much work. I, gotta look, uh, I don't look pretty enough. Well, I've, yeah, I've been told that I have a face for podcasting. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, I, I'm going to bond with you here, man. Check it. Oh, cool, cool. Yes. Oh, it's like Foley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, yeah, so um, 
Who did this? Ah, uh, it's like ta- oh, you, oh, there's a company that makes those, right? Yeah, this is uh the, the company is apparently called Grinelli, um, and they took your bright idea, man, and they made a they made all your patent money off of well, it. Well, in all honesty, I think I saw somebody with it with tape that did the same thing. But mine's not a full ninety degree. It's a. Uh, it's. I think it's a. I don't know what. I think it's a eighty degree or something. But whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's the that's where I got the idea. But mine, you can actually put it back to a fifty-seven if you wanted to, because it's there's a little gap there and the wire that goes between, and you just take it and just boop, boop, screw it back together. Gotcha. So do you think they just? And I, I I'm sure your listeners are dying right now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you? So I'll I'll limit it to just this one last question. Do you think? Uh, did you just screw off uh, off the very top capsule and then add that pipe joint? Yeah. And the wires are just loose in that pipe. Yeah, and the wire fits right in there, no problem. Yeah. Dude, you are a true engineer, man. I, that <laughs> like that must be a great feeling. It is. It's a very good feeling. Um, I yeah, I I it's sort of like something. There's a bit of a replacement, like podcasting, doing this kind of stuff, and it, having hobbies like that. It does sort of. Um, it, it for a better part it replaces sort of that always being serious about music you know mm-hmm. and that's the part of my life that i've sort of learned to sort of cope with because i i was i was a selfish musician like i i would i would just go and you know go on tour and i had a new baby and and just go to europe and go play in playing shitty clubs like opening for 10 foot pole or something you know mm-hmm. and and like literally opening for 10 foot pole and yeah. uh and it would be like what am I doing? You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, I should, you know, and so when you have kids, maybe you shouldn't have kids because you got to, <laughs> you shouldn't do it, you know, because there is a lot of compromise made in life. And, and I've learned to understand what my priorities are with music. And I've learned to sort of not sort of suppress it, but to sort of like, not like get like a real job because a lot of people who are sort of give up, those guys are losers, man. No, I'm just, <laughs> but to go get a real job is to me, I've always sort of like, tried to stay close to music you know like i i always said this one thing it's like you know those guys that make like welding like sculptures it's guys they, they sit there and weld but they kind of know how to weld they need to know how to weld first so they must be like welding a lot of pipes somewhere like working as a pipe fitter of sorts you know so they have to kind of keep their art going but the art part is building these things and that's sort of what i've attributed to like doing sound for bands or tour managing bands that that's what keeps me in it, but not in it, you know? <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Beautifully said. Cause that is a different relationship. I, man, the story I tell myself is that there's a time in our lives to do the crazy shit that we did on the road. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a time to manifest the benefits of that in a different way later. I, if I'm still emotionally 15 years old, 20 years from now, I probably, my rhythm will like, that, that will probably be a red flag to me in some ways. I realize it's like a cliche thing to say, like, stay young, man. Don't let them yeah. beat it out of you. Uh, but man, I, uh, there, there's like, tr- there's tremendous beauty to like making that count in the time in your life that it belongs. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, you know, building beyond from that, I'm very inspired by that. Uh, I, I, like those are footsteps that I want to follow, man. No, no doubt. Yeah, and you don't fully know your, you know, the realization of understanding what success is is always that sort of. There's always a perpetual motion of trying to keep becoming more successful in music, you know, and that's 
but there's a lot of people can't come along for that ride. You know what I mean? And that's your ride. You know what I mean? That's your, that's your direction, you know, mm-hmm. is to just keep improving as a musician and keep getting comfier hotel rooms or something. But it's to get more, just to get more love out of it for the fact that, well, you can't just play in punk rock bands your whole life. You know what I mean? You can't. You could. Well, no effects have. Bad religion have. But that's it. That's two bands. There's a million of those bands, you know. But yeah. you have to sort of, as a musician, you got to always want to get better, right? So, you know, obviously you have. You've changed your drum kit. You've done things and you've sort of, I don't know. It's it's always like an uphill battle, but it's it's a successful battle when you get sort of plateaued a little bit, right? Well, cool. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you saying that makes this click for me. I, I'm still on some level getting the same gratifying almost like when you when you start to make one side of the rubik's cube you it's starting to look like the yellow side you're yeah. starting to get it together I, there's a really gratifying kind of puzzle solving uh feeling to that when i was trying to learn travis barker's intro to first date <laughs> um i locked myself in the basement for like i wouldn't let myself leave every day until i successfully played it correctly 20 times in a row or something. And so mm-hmm. I was down there for hours some days and there was a, it wasn't like there was some gun to my head or some, somebody going like, Hey man, you're not going to be worth anything. If you don't know this intro, it was that, it was that gratifying feeling of improving at a craft man and asking it questions and actually getting answers back from it. And I suppose maybe I'm still swinging at drums because I still have that feeling about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what to, it, it sounds like that's part of the essence of what you described. There are things that engage you about uh, about music, and these are the avenues you can use to stay on them. So why wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw Bad Religion play with Brooks Wackerman playing drums, and oh. uh, I've never seen a show like that in my entire life. You know, because I'm used to seeing Bobby Share and then the guy before even. I've seen him play with the guy before that who I don't know. But Bobby is always kind of safe playing. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. and then I saw Brooke, one of early Brooks's early shows with Bad Religion, and I'm like, eh, it's a little loose. And then I saw them like maybe it was like five years ago, no, at the Montebello Rock Festival, and he's just so comfortable up there, just jamming away. And I said, I saw him backstage. I go, hey man, you've managed to jam to Bad Religion, like mm-hmm. I was trying to make it like for the spirit, like you're jamming this, like you're not everything he's doing is like for fun, you know. He hasn't worked out parts. He's just having a blast. Agreed. Yes. He had a very unique take on bad religion. Totally. Um, almost to the point that the new guy, he was just in Modern Drummer, and I don't remember his name, um, which I feel bad about. But <laughs> they've kind of told the new guy, like, okay, let's float back in the direction of where we started. Like, let's- But not too far back. Let's not go yeah. to the late 80s where the guy was high on heroin. Let's not do that stuff. <laughs> Let's yeah, do the yeah. Well, like Bobby was earlier. Bobby had these big old drumsticks, and they were like big clubs. And uh, he would get uh, his tech to sort of beat the, beat them up. So he, they were like like playing like whatever. They were all sharp and stuff, and his hands would just get all bloody stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What and and I I you know I have to ask about Bill Stevenson. Like he is one of my favorite drummers when it comes to punk rock. Descendants all. Uh, descendants as a as a unit unto themselves are like where what would the world be without the stuff they made oh my god yeah uh, yeah every every piece of 
music that I worship like credits the descendants as like part of its origin. Yeah. And it goes deeper too because Bill played in Black Flag. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's that's early eighties. That's like well, that'd be considered second generation punk rock, you know, like you know. I I have this thought all the time. What would it have been like to come up around that, to be part of that community? I don't think I'd be alive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. think I would be. I think I'd be dead. I think I would be. Um, <laughs> Bill Stevenson had a brain tumor and had it removed and became a better drummer. I worked with him in 2010, and it was like a year after his operation. And I've seen all play more times than the Descendants, but he's, he's really good. He did this thing with his knuckle. He would do like this thing where he'd hold the drumstick like this, mm-hmm. and he'd do this. Yeah. But... um. He's just such a, a monster drummer on this one show. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I asked Steph, I go, he's a better drummer now. He goes, I know, dude, he plays better than he ever has. You know, and he's got to be almost 60 now. Like, just still rocking it. That's beautiful. You it's know what inspiring. that says to me is like, it's not, it can seem like a physical game and it's not. It's, yeah. it's way more spiritual. Like, I think that guy sounded so good to you because that's him in there, man. That's, yeah. that's his voice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, well, cool. I uh, I think we're good. I, you know, yeah. I, how do you feel? You feel good? Oh, dude, I this was uh, this was church for me, man. I, I'm so I'm so glad I got to chat with you tonight. Me too. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and I, I, uh, yeah, I'm 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 always amazed. I ask people, and they say, yeah, you know. So that's it's good. Thank you. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, dude. I, it it's been cool to hear your conversations with with Aaron and. Burkett and, and Kevin Lyman, like, yeah. I, I, I think it's so cool that you're doing your show, especially about a thing that's so particular, man, like, <laughs> the spirituality of this neck of the woods is so particular. Uh, I, I, I know we're supposed to wrap anyway. I have to ask you a question about this. Sure. And you can keep it on the air if you want or sure. not. Okay. okay. I found this so interesting that she said that her household is punk rock only we're only if we're in my car the only music that's allowed is uh is punk rock and her kids like no nah, but i have my own thing that i want to listen to and aaron's response is like no i as the institution i don't condone that music i only condone my music <laughs> what i found fascinating about this is like yo where did punk wasn't punk, wasn't punk supposed to be the anti that oh, yeah. place like What's your reaction to that, man? Like, or what is the self-consciousness of that as a subject? Well, I can safely say I have a 17-year-old who, when he was 12, loved Green Day and now loves hip-hop. And because I, I like early 90s hip-hop, but I, I, this stuff with the mumbling and the... I, I, don't, I don't get it because I'm too old. That's what I'm going to say. And Same. I've always tried to find positive things in music, so I've always tried to attribute whatever, you know, if I like the people, I love the band. If I hate the music, then I'll try to like the people. And if I like the people, then I like the band. You know, it's always sort of like that sort of weird little circle. But if the people are assholes and their music sucks, then fuck off. I don't, I don't need it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but my yeah. son, I think subliminally, has gone out of his way to find music that makes me cringe. <laughs> because he's 17. And he's supposed to. He's supposed yeah. to like music that I don't like. And that's the way, oh. you know, and so to answer your question, they're not supposed to like your music. They're not yeah. supposed to. They're supposed to get their own thing, have their own voice, and appreciate what they can get out of it, because eventually the phase will die. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember listening to my first Beatles record, and then I remember listening to like fucking like Iron Maiden, and it scared yeah. the shit out of my parents. I loved it. I loved it. And that's that's right. You know what I mean? Music that frightens your parents is always way. It's always a, a stronger move as a as a teenager. Of course, yes, that was your generational responsibility. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and that's why we love the music that we love. So yeah. I, I found that interesting. I felt more empathy, kind of, for the kid than for Aaron as she was saying that. And I, I found that just interesting to wrestle with in my brain. So you've spoken about it uh, really beautifully, man. I appreciate you indulging that question. Well, thanks, man. I like I said, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, if you, when we get back on tour, and when you start you know, floating around and please hit me up and uh, it'd be, it'd be great to talk to you in person and, and, you know, come see a show and, and hang. Yeah. You are on the list for life, Simon. Man. <laughs> Thank you. Anytime. I'm easy to find. Mr. Harry Myrie of the band Low Cash, as well as YouTuber, as well as, um, good hang. Harry Myrie is a good hang. That should be on a t-shirt. Harry, thanks so much for doing the show. I really appreciate it. And if you're still listening to this, uh, please uh, send me an email with your address and I'll send you a shirt because I want you to wear my shirt. Okay? So, what can you say? Oh, thanks everybody for shopping on Amazon, supporting the show. Um, this Using the money from this, I basically what I'm trying to do is fund a, a little thing I'm putting together. It's uh, hopefully going to be an image form. It's going to be hopefully a documentary of sorts. I can't tell you who it's going to be about, but I think and I hope it's all the pieces are coming together. So I should have something figured out to make some sort of an announcement within the next month or so. So anyways, yeah, shopping on Amazon supports that. Also with Patreon, patreon.com slash Uh And I will definitely be, yeah, making some images about maybe a band, maybe not, maybe a person, maybe a person in a band. Who knows? I've given away too much. I have to kill you all. So, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And I have to say thank you so much for the wonderful messages about the Chai tribute I did last week. It was um, it was, it was, it was an emotional couple of days and uh, putting that podcast out didn't help much. But anyways, I uh, appreciate all the nice messages I've been getting over Facebook and, and, uh, and through friends and texts and whatnot and you know what thank you i appreciate it so next week what do i got next week everybody what do i say what do I got next week next week i got chachi from the band round eye and um i got some other things lined up and i think it's going to be a good little summer of podcasting and uh you know, as downloads go podcasting goes down around now in the summer so i'm trying to i'm, I'm stacking it you know this this has been a it's been an interesting year and uh, I hope to uh, keep putting out podcasts and uh, keep releasing episodes. And we'll get to 300 and we'll make a decision what we're going to do from there. But uh, anybody wants to be on the show, please get in touch with me. Applelog.ca slash contact. Okay. So I've spoken too much. I've said too much. I, I know I'm going to put a code word at the end of this because whoever who has ever listened to all the way to this point, I'm going to make the code word Myri. Myrie. You can spell it however you want, but it's M-I-R-E-E. Anyways, send me a thing, however you want, over Facebook or Twitter, and that, with that word, and I'll uh, send you a prize. It'll be a present, a virtual hug, an elbow. All right. Uh, have a good week. We'll see you again. 